Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Once again, how wonderful to see defilements in the mind. And that is uh, practicing with Sayadaw Utejaniya. Um, there was just this uh, two-week retreat at the uh, Insight Meditation Society in Barry, Massachusetts, which is where I've done most of... Uh, my practice, actually, large extent, except for the last few years at Spirit Rock. How many people have been to uh, IMS in Barry? Oh, wonderful. Okay, a few of you. Yeah, <clears throat> that's where it all started for me. It's funny they've they've changed the they've really upgraded the the hall and it's it's lovely uh, but i remember sitting there when it first opened in 1976 and i kind of miss all the funkiness and saying oh i was in that place where that board creaked and made me feel so at home and all that um it's a lovely center it's a really great meditation center and uh, uh jane my wife and i went along with a number of friends and uh, teachers uh, to sit with this um, and many other. There were about, uh, what, uh, about 80 or so, 80 or, yeah, 80 or 90 people or so sitting with the, this uh, master who um, I've been hearing about for some time. Uh, I met him once. He came to um, Gill's uh, center in Redwood City and taught for a couple of days and I, I sat with him for a day then and uh, was fortunate to have lunch and spend some informal time with him but I'd never really practiced with him in a in a more um, extensive way an intensive way and I, I very much uh, wanted to take advantage of the opportunity to do that uh, because he's been um, the really the main teacher and uh, inspiration for my uh, dear friend and colleague Carol Wilson, who I do a lot of teaching with. Uh, we teach the February retreat uh, most years together, and uh, many other retreats over the years. And also Steve Armstrong, who's done a lot of teaching at Spirit Rock and been teaching for decades. Um, and Carol and Steve both first started practicing with um, Utejaniya around 2005, I think, or 2006, six or seven years they've been uh, practicing with him. And after, oh, 30, 35 years of practice, um, they've both had a major shift in their uh, in their practice and what they enjoy teaching, 
um, after practicing with him. And since I I have such such respect for both of them, I really wanted to find out why they were so they've been so inspired by this master. Um, actually, uh, as I uh, just uh, to interject, next spring Steve and Carol are going to be teaching at Spirit Rock an Utejania style retreat. Uh, so you might, if it seems interesting or appealing, uh, you might check that out when it comes out in the calendar. Um, <clears throat> and Utejania uh, has a center in in Burma, uh, in uh, Rangoon or Yangon, um, called the Shweyu Min Center. That was the name of his teacher, Shweyu Min. Shweyu Min was a, a, a great uh, master who was um, who was a Dharma heir to Mahasi Sayadaw, and in fact, and was the chief instructor at Mahasi Sayadaw Center in in uh, Burma for um, about a decade. Now, if you don't know any of these names, that's absolutely fine, but I'll just give you a little brief history in the lineage. Mahasi Sayadaw uh, is, um, he taught this, uh, among other things, this technique of mental noting, where you're naming in, out, hearing, uh, breathing, lifting, moving, placing, and just focused awareness, and also developing some concentration. Um, and Utejaniya's teacher was the main instructor there. But he, uh, at some point, left that center, and I haven't figured out just how the the change happened, but um, Utejaniya doesn't, he says, if you can help it, don't note, you know. <laughs> don't note, don't go for concentration, don't try to sharpen the uh, focus of awareness, uh, and it's a very different style, actually, from um, many um, Burmese masters, whether or not they're doing Mahasi's style, or there's this uh, other teacher, Pa Ok Sayadaw, who's taught uh, in in the states in recent years. He's a, he's one of the uh, old masters who's about focusing and getting very very strong deep states of absorption. Shaila uh, Catherine uh, uh, Shaila Catherine uh, came here and gave a talk on concentration from that Sayadaw, uh, Pa'ok Sayadaw. This is the, the complete other end of the spectrum. So it was so, so unusual in the first place to have a Burmese Sayadaw saying, relax. Yeah. <laughs> cool out. Yeah. Just, um, if you're getting... If you're trying hard, you're doing something wrong, among other things. Um, so um, I wanted to see what Carol and Steve had 
had gotten into and uh, what what the practice was about. And just a little bit about the, the format. I had done some reading, actually, um, a couple of his books. And, and when I sat in December, I used his book, one of his books, as a as a guide, um, but it's different when you're practicing directly with the, with the teacher. Um, so the format of the retreat, um, mostly no schedule at all. There's a, there was a early morning wake up sitting together, five forty five. Kind of encourage you to get out of beds and and, and be with everybody. And then there was an 8.15 sitting where Steve or Carol would uh, give some words of explanation, kind of uh, elaborating or clarifying some of the Sayadaw's teachings. Sayadaw is a, is a name of, uh, an honorific name of uh, a great teacher. And then uh, at 9.15 late, later, at the very end of the day, there was a, also a group sitting that uh, just to kind of cap bookend the day and you come down to that sitting so you're kind of really doing it other than that you there were you know the morning was from after the 815 sitting uh ended on your own until lunchtime and then the afternoon on your own until tea time and then uh, on your own until the last sitting. And when I say on your own, you could come into the hall as much as you like, but it was like coming and going. It's not like if you've ever done a retreat and somebody comes in late to a sitting and you're saying, "Mm, they're disturbing my sitting. What are they doing here? They're disturbing my meditation. Well, you let go of that completely because it's all coming and going, right? And it's interesting just how in very short order, it doesn't matter at all, because if that's not the rule, then okay, nobody's breaking any rule, you're doing fine. Um, and then besides that, the um, the one other um, uh, wrinkle in the, in the program is uh, every third day, uh, you are in a group of Oh, maybe um, 17 to 20 people or so that would meet with the Sayadaw <clears throat> for two hours in a group uh, conversation. And half the group got four times you're with the Sayadaw for two hours. So it's a, it was a total of eight hours of conversation or questions and answers and he came into the hall um, once and uh, did some uh, Q and A. Um, so you got a a kind of download after a while of what what he was talking about. Oh, and and so in the four interviews, two interviews, um, the you're in one half of the group that asked the questions, and the other half mainly listened, unless there was time after everybody in the first half asked their questions then then others in the second half could ask theirs um, and um, after a while it kind of started to sink in what he was trying to communicate at least a little bit sinking in oh and one other thing is on on this retreat um, 
they everyone uh, received a copy of uh, this book called Dhamma Everywhere, um, welcoming each moment with awareness and wisdom. And this is a compilation of uh, Utejaniya's teachings. And so people were encouraged, not just, oh, well, you can read if you have to. It's read this book, right? And people would be in the dining hall and reading and studying away. And um, and it was an uh, it was an interesting way to kind of, you're, you're practicing and then you're reading what he says and then you hear the, the uh, the conversations and the and the Q and A, and uh, it starts to sink in a little bit. And I can't say that I'm um, I'm I'm still a a beginner at his style of practice, but um, it was interesting. And I I can't say now I'm that's going to be my only practice or my main practice. But it was a very useful, is a very useful tool to have in my toolkit, both for my own personal practice and maybe to, to share with others. Um, so, what does he teach? <clears throat> Three things that he said to keep in mind, that a, a practitioner should keep in mind. One Right view. He talks over and over and over about right view. And I'll talk about that in a moment. Two, to um, have awareness of what is happening. This might not seem new, but he has a little twist to simply what we think of as being mindful. He has a certain... Um, take on what mindfulness is. So awareness, what he calls awareness plus wisdom. And he puts them in the book always together. Awareness with a little plus sign. Awareness and wisdom. Awareness and wisdom. That's two. To be aware of what's happening. And then three, to maintain that awareness as much as you can. Um, But he says, you've got to do this in a very relaxed and interested way. I was uh, delighted to hear. He says, the most important things, be relaxed and be interested, which was, I was delighted to hear because basically I've been using those words for oh, quite some time when I give my give meditation instructions. I say bring relaxed, interested, and kind awareness to the moment. And he said the same thing. So I said, oh, I like that guy. Okay, I can relate to that. <clears throat> so, and he talks... In in those three, right view, awareness, and wisdom, and maintaining the awareness uh, in the context of right attitude. Those That's another term that he uses again and again and again. So I'll talk a little bit about each of these, what right view is, awareness and wisdom, and uh, right attitude. So right view 
And you, you might, there might be something in you that snags when you hear the word right, you know, as opposed to wrong, you know. Oh, am I back in school and I don't want to do it wrong? Well, in the definition, uh, there is a, a definition of right view that is not simply are you doing it right or are you doing it wrong, but right view as opposed to wrong view, which is a mental factor in the mind that gets us into trouble. Wrong view is not realizing that you are you don't have control over experience. Wrong view is taking this mind and body process as some entity to whom life is happening and that we get caught in thinking, oh, that's my anger, that's my mindfulness. That's my sadness. That's my knee pain. That's my good meditation or bad meditation. And we fall into this habit, which is prevalent in most of us most of the time, feeling this mind-body process to be a solid eye and sense of self. Right view is seeing through that delusion or illusion, you could say. And that is not taking anything personally. So when you're sitting, if you have a, an angry thought, Instead of it being, oh, I'm such an angry person, or how do I get rid of this angry thought? You see, that thought is not you at all. That anger isn't your anger. It's just a factor, a quality of mind that has come to visit you, come out of habits of mind out of causes and conditions that you need not take any blame, any responsibility, make it any problem at all. It's just simply a natural process. No matter what is happening in this mind and body, it is simply an unfolding process of nature. Now, if you've been practicing for a while, this might not seem new at all. However, there's something about the way he approaches it that it sinks in in a very subtle but powerful way. And one thing that he says again and again over 
over and over about right view is that it's all just natural and you don't don't make a problem of anything anything not only don't make a problem of it he calls the the negative tendencies of mind um, by their classical name or classical translation as defilements, okay, which is a, it's a word that I'm not crazy about. I never was crazy about because it seems so, you know, Puritan. And uh, in fact, one of his books, his little booklet, is don't look down on the defilements they will laugh at you. (laughs) Defilements or kilesas in in Pali or kleshas in in Sanskrit are those mm, torments is another name for for them. Um, Torments of mind the yucky stuff that comes, and they're called defilements in in the best sense, if you can understand why that word is used. They're defilements because they obscure the purity of mind that is your natural state. So, if you really get a sense of what defilements are, it's not that you're, you know, you're just filled with yucky impurities. It's just that these are these obscurations that get in the way of you seeing the purity and the wholesomeness and the clarity and the wisdom and the love that is shining through like Ajahn Sumedho talks about shining through of the divine. So when he says, if you see these defilements and you don't, and you remember not to take them personally, there's not only no problem at all, but seeing a defilement or seeing a negative pattern is just as good as seeing your breath or noticing love or noticing a bird chirping outside. It's just another aspect of nature. And in fact, what he says is feel good about seeing the defilements because that means that you're being mindful as long as you remember not to take it personally. And I want to read a little passage from, uh, from his book that'll give you a, a sense of this. A yogi, that's anyone who's practicing, who's always watching the mind will notice each time that unwholesome mental states arise. That's what, that's another name for defilements. It may seem as if there's a great deal of these states happening. If the yogi views what is happening with the wrong attitude, that these are personally happening to him, he'll become distressed. When awareness and wisdom grow with the right attitude, 
working in the background, this yogi may even feel joyful interest in recognizing these states as they are. Here's an analogy. If a policeman were able to catch the thief every time he stole something, this policeman would be promoted up the ranks. On the other hand, a demotion might be headed his way if the policeman kept missing the thief. Here, the thief is always stealing something. Are you going to experience objects with defilements whenever they arise? Are you going to experience objects with defilements whenever they arise? Or are you going to observe with wisdom? Pay attention with awareness and wisdom. Otherwise, defilements will have already taken over the experience. So that's why I say, oh, how wonderful to see defilements in the mind because anytime you can recognize it, it means it's a moment of awareness and if you can recognize it without taking it personally, there's a, a true freedom that comes. It's like, it's not my problem, you know, or as, as Joseph uh, Goldstein, I love his instruction I sometimes give, he says, if you're bothered by your thoughts, just imagine they're coming from the person behind you. <laughs> I mean, that really gives space around it, right? Can you get down on yourself for the airwaves that you happen to, radio waves you happen to pick up from somebody else? Well, it's, it's as much... It's as much the, the basic fact that you're not responsible for those thoughts that you've picked up from around you or the ones that come through your mind. Another, another image that came to my mind while I was, um, I was practicing. Um, suppose you've had a really weird dream. You ever wake up and have some, realize you've had this bizarre dream of, you know, demons or, uh, you know, cops and robbers and all that kind of stuff or, you know, getting into mess or getting into Buddha realms or whatever. When you wake up from a bad dream, do you scold yourself for having the dream? Do you say, oh God, I'm such an awful person. Look at that dream. And maybe you do. <laughs> you know, I, I really feel for you if you do. But most people wouldn't because when they're dreaming, it's just going on without you running the show, right? It's the same. It's just a different level on the continuum. But you don't have any control what comes through your mind. You might have some say in how you relate to it. But if, as I've said many times, if you had control over what comes through your mind, you'd probably only have beautiful, loving thoughts of saving humanity and being a bodhisattva, but a few others slip through every now and then, right? Well, it's the same. Those thoughts are just arising out of nowhere, doing their thing, staying for a while, and then that leaving. Unless you say, oh, I'm such a rotten person for having that thought, then 
you solidify not only the thought pattern with your reaction to it, but also you're taking personally what is a completely impersonal process. You with me so far? This, again, probably to many of you, this is not new at all. But to see this over and over and over and have at the, I mean, he says right view about, you know, three times a minute. Um, so you kind of get it after a while, you know. Don't take it personally. That you start to um, have a perspective on things. Now, I'll just move on a bit to the second piece because they work together. This idea of awareness and awareness plus wisdom. He uses awareness very much like we would use mindfulness with a slight wrinkle. Okay? Awareness plus wisdom. As you're here in the room and you know I'm talking up here, are you aware that you're looking at me? You're aware you're looking at me, right? Were you aware that you were looking at me before I asked that question? You were looking at me, and if somebody asked, at least if you have your eyes open and you're facing this way, you know, or if you're looking at the Buddha or whatever, you know, but you weren't aware that you were seeing. You were just, it was just happening automatically, right? But when I asked you, are you aware that you're seeing me? you became aware that you were seeing, right? Did it take a lot of effort to know that you were seeing me? It didn't take any effort probably at all. Just, oh yeah, seeing, okay, I got it. That is the awareness that he's talking about. That is knowing what the mind is doing. Not just knowing the object, knowing that I'm talking or whatever you're seeing me doing, but to be aware of what's happening in your mind. And what's happening in your mind generally comes down to Six different things. When I say your mind, your experience. You're either seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, if you're having some food in your mouth, feeling, having some tactile experience, or thinking, or having some kind of mental thought or, or feeling. Those are the six things that are happening in your mind, that are happening in your internal experience. 
And his style of practice, how it's a, a bit of a different wrinkle, is instead of being focused on the objects, he says, keep coming back to the awareness and know what is happening in your mind, or in the mind, I should say. So, for instance, with a lot of meditation practices, often that I teach and uh, that we do at, at Spirit Rock, you're feeling the breath. Okay. In, out. In, out. Oh, the breath is just... The in-breath is stopping. It's turning to the out-breath. Out-breath is ending. Oh, there's a gap. Oh, feel the lips touching. Oh, here's the next in-breath in. And in the in-breath, maybe if you're, if you're quite settled and say on retreat, oh, there's some waves or some puffs or some, a sparkle here or a little tickle over there. Oh yeah, and there's a little, the nostrils are flaring there. Oh yeah, all of those things, okay. That's a very wonderful and valuable thing to train the mind to notice what's happening. But that's not what he's interested at all. And he's, instead of focusing on the object like the sensation, as you are breathing, you might be, you'll be aware of the sensation, but he says, keep knowing that you are aware. It's, it, I don't know if this, how much this comes across, but it's like you're pulling back just a little bit. You're, not in, in when I sat with this Burmese master um, Upandita, he talked about penetrating into the object. And there was an image that sometimes would be given of uh, just imagine a piece of broccoli. I remember that one used to be used. And you have a fork, and if you dangle the fork above the broccoli, you're not going to get get it to eat. If you smash the fork into the broccoli, it'll go flying everywhere. But if you go just deep enough that it's connected with the object, then you're really tuned into the experience. Well, instead of that kind of penetrating awareness, Utejaniya says, have enough awareness to know that the breath is happening but tune into the knowing, the fact that you're knowing that you're breathing. So instead of leaning into the object, you're a little bit, it's like a slightly different vantage point where you're knowing what's happening in the mind and you're knowing that awareness is happening and so when you see, for instance, when you see the defilements, what I'm calling defilements, when you see, you know, anger or fear or whatever, you're not 
in it at all. You know, you, you have enough space to say, oh, look at that fear over there, you know. Oh, yeah, there's some, some anger over there. Oh, and there's, I'm knowing, or there's an awareness that's knowing the anger. So just that little step back gives a lot of space that keeps you from identifying nearly as much as when you're kind of caught in the story, oh my God, you know, and she really did say that, and uh, what do I do now? It's like, oh yeah, there's an awareness that there's a whole story going on. And um, it starts to sink in. And with his practice, he's not looking for concentration in the in the usual sense. In fact, he warns against it again and again, at least in his style. He's probably, I think he's seen a lot of people who are kind of recovering strivers who've come to his center and are, you know, almost crippled with their striving and with trying really hard to get focused, not everyone, and, and the way we teach it on, the way I teach it, and we teach it at Spear Rock is, concentration is good, but you've got to be doing it very relaxed, no striving at all. You're just kind of interested in what's happening. But he comes from vantage point, don't strive at all, don't try to get focused, get the wider view, and just know what's happening and know the awareness that's happening, that's seeing it. Because in every moment, there is an object, whether it's the breath or a sensation or a thought or whatever, there's the object and the knowing of it. There's the water and the knowing that I'm tasting it. There's seeing there's this object, this speaker, and the knowing that you're seeing. So this is what he keeps on coming back to and calling the observing mind. And in his definition of mindfulness, the word sati, S-A-T-I, is translated as mindfulness, uh, usually, but the literal translation of sati is actually remembering, and he uses that translation. He says, "It doesn't take any effort to know that you were seeing when I asked you, are you, are you seeing me?" But it's remembering that you're seeing. That's the key. Remembering to notice the mind. That's the key. So that's the second piece. And then uh, I'll talk a bit about right attitude. And he's got a, a bunch of these reminders on right attitude for meditation. Let's see. Oh, gosh. 
is a, a list of, I won't read the whole list, there's 23 little reminders here, and they're in this book, and they're in that book as well. Um, meditating is acknowledging and observing whatever happens, whether pleasant or unpleasant, in a relaxed way. Meditating is watching, and he uses the word waiting, I'm not crazy about that, but watching and waiting patiently with awareness and understanding. Meditation is not trying to experience something you've read or heard about. When meditating, both the mind and the body should be comfortable. If the mind and body are getting tired, something is wrong with the way you're practicing, and it's time to check the way you're meditating. Don't try to create anything, and don't reject what is happening. Just be aware. You're not trying to make things turn out the way you want them to happen. You're trying to know what is happening as it is. <clears throat> you have to accept and watch both good and bad experiences. You want only good experiences? You don't want even the tiniest unpleasant experience? Is that reasonable? Don't feel disturbed by the thinking mind. You're not practicing to prevent thinking, but rather to recognize and acknowledge thinking whenever it arises. The object of attention is not really important. The observing mind that is working in the background to be aware is of real importance. If the observing mind is done with the right attitude, any object is the right object. <clears throat> so he says, you want to play around, practice that in a very relaxed, light way, but do it continuously as much as you can. And when you forget, no problem at all. Just whenever you remember, oh, remembering. I'll come back and know, oh, I'm aware right now. <clears throat> He has a different definition for effort instead of trying hard. He calls um, effort um, perseverance, but in a relaxed way. Just consistent uh, attempt to be with what's, what's here. And concentration, rather than it being a single, one-pointed, focused awareness, he calls concentration, he translates it as stability, so that there's a, a continuous mindfulness that develops. And in, um, in the teachings, there's this teaching called Kanika Samadhi. Rather than focused on one particular object, you're noticing what's happening now, and what's happening now, and what's happening now, and it's moment-to-moment-to-moment -moment -to -moment concentration. <clears throat> so what happens when you do this? A couple of, I'll just say a couple more words, and then if there's time, we can have some conversation. And maybe a little practice. Maybe we'll do just a little practice. One is, as I said before, you're way less likely to identify with your experiences. 
when again and again you are mm, let's see I call it I don't want to throw you off on this I say to myself be the awareness now I'm not saying oh I am the awareness but kind of reminding myself oh tune into the awareness that's noticing what's happening. When you're doing that, it's much less likely that you're going to identify with all the content there. Because everything is just a natural process. The body and the mind just following their own, their own laws and their own habits. There's um, one of my teachers, and Joseph Goldstein's uh, one of his main teachers, uh, Manindraji. I've given talk about Manindraji here. Uh, who's passed away um, many years now, um, he used to have this expression that uh, that kept on coming up on the sitting. He'd say, empty phenomena rolling on. That That's basically, if you can remember in your practice, just empty phenomena rolling on. Don't you see? Just empty phenomena rolling on. You know? And that's kind of what it becomes. It's all just so insubstantial. The stories, the freakouts, the the you know the the the, the mishigas, if you know that Yiddish word, the service, you know, all the aggravation and the craziness in the mind. It's just empty phenomena rolling on. So there's much less chance to identify something else identify with it. Something else that starts to happen is as you're kind of not in the process but just seeing process and being the awareness that's seeing the process, you see cause and effect in a very, from a very different vantage point. You see how one thing triggers another thing, leads to another thing. You hear a a sound, it reminds you of a memory and you get into a story and you're just seeing, I, that was my experience, you're just seeing how one thing leads to another in a, in a, in a much more, in a, in a clear way. It's, it's quite interesting. And you see this mind-body process, you see the impersonality of this mind-body process. Uh, as as he said in one of the groups that I was in, um, awareness is your home. So this is what starts to happen. And what, interestingly enough, has stayed with me since the retreat, that when you kind of get the hang of stepping back and being the awareness, it's the safest place there is. Now, you don't want to be so removed that you're disconnected from your life. But you can still play at being you, but the awareness is really your home. Because that's, one could say, who you really are. Not to take ownership of it, but it's just this awareness shining through, as we said before. You can't turn it off, even if you tried. So, more and more settling into that place of home called awareness. Um, and it's, it's interesting. It's good. I, there are some things that I, that I had a different take on. Like, I do believe that having 
concentration, developing some concentration, can be very useful. And he says you can do that if you want to, you can do that. He doesn't say you shouldn't do anything. He says it's all just done in skillful means, but that this is what he teaches and this vantage point has its own value. So I found it helpful at times just saying, okay, I'm just, I'm going to, First, I felt like I was cheating, but then he said, it's okay, you know. All right, I, I think I'm a little scattered here. I just want to be with the breath for a while, and I'd be with the breath. Mm, oh, that's a lot sharper. And then to let go and just be coming back to that vantage point. So um, that's why I say, oh, how wonderful to see defilements in the mind. No problem, not you at all. Awareness is your home. So, we have a, just a few minutes if there's uh, any question or comment that comes from that. Let's see. Um, who can pass this? Raise your hand in the back. Yeah. Thank you. So it seems like it's just a different concentration. They're both concentration practices. The breath is one object and the being aware of awareness. Yeah, and he says concentration, it's more, you see, it's not, a, the awareness is not an object that you can kind of land on and, and hang in and, and just kind of get a, get a strong sense of, because it's so ephemeral you can't even catch it but it's that kind of concentration of just continually tuning into being the awareness yeah that's what he calls that that kind of concentration exactly you're just not sinking into anything because there's nothing there yeah yeah here's uh alice and jim i was just going to say um I was just going to say real quickly, um, there's, I think, two dozen talks of Utejaneya mm. on Dharma Seed that were recorded in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, if you go to dharmaseed.org and on the teachers go to Utejaneya, everything from the retreat was recorded. So there, he did two two-hour interview groups a day. That's four hours of conversation. They're all, every day is up there plus a couple of uh, instructional things. So, uh, yeah, it's cool. And you can hear him, this fantastic translator uh, who's been with him for many years, this woman, uh, Matet, um, who is just lovely to listen to as well. So if you want to get a sense of it, Utejaniya, T-E-J-A-N-I-Y-A, up on Dharma Seed. What's that? T-E-J-A-N-I-Y-A Utejaniya Larry, over here. Yeah, I just um, wanted to mention um, just the similarity. I When I was listening to you talk about this, it was... You know, at first it was about um, remembering, and it reminded me so much of 
self-remembering and Gurdjieff tradition. Very much, exactly. And um, it was like, that's what they were just saying that over yeah. and over again. Here yeah, he's yeah. saying it. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm reminded again of, um, you know, uh, um, Advaita Vedanta teacher, a f- friend of mine, uh, in the tradition of Ramana Maharshi, um, always talking about being aware of the awareness. And a lot of his students would be, you know, struggling with meditation and struggling with effort. And it was very much like what you said. And it was just mm-hmm. so parallel. It's like, you know. Exactly. Uh, same the, there's, so, there's so many different packagings of similar approaches. It's just an exploration into the mind. Yeah. Right. But it's, this is in the Buddhist tradition. Mm-hmm. Right? Parallels. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. Great. Thanks. Okay, one last one, and then then we should end right over here. Thank you. Could you relate this to uh, br- different brainwave states? Uh, because obviously the meditative state is a different, slower brainwave. Um, and the idea that the theta state, uh, as we're just falling off to sleep or just waking up, is really slow, um, and that we actually don't want to be in that brainwave state when we're crossing the street. Um, and that maybe we don't want a surgeon to be aware of her awareness when she's actually doing the surgery. Yeah, I'd like the surgeon to kind of know what she's doing. Yeah, he's not suggesting this is how you live your life 24-7. There are times that you need to focus and concentrate on things. But, in fact, don't worry about being, I mean, you'd be a fully enlightened being if you were aware of your awareness all the time. But the more you practice it, it kind of pulls you out of the stickiness and you become very tuned into when there's unwholesome states arising. Uh, It really can come down to just, is the mind contracted? Then relax it. Because if you're tuning into your attitude of mind, that's what he keeps on saying. Just notice, is there contraction there? There's a, that's an unwholesome defilement state. And just, even in the seeing it, it's relaxed. You don't have to work hard to relax it. But there are times that this is not appropriate to function in the world. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so let's... Um, it's. Uh, we're out of time. It's a little past time. So just we'll close and maybe for just a moment, play around with this. And so as you're sitting here, you can feel your body sitting here. And now be aware that you're feeling your body. don't have to do anything special. And you can kind of go back and forth. It's not like you've got to pounce on that awareness. It's just a very light touch. So there's the body and then the knowing of it. And then you might tune into what's happening in your mind. Like, oh, are we going to get out soon? Or... What's going to happen, or this is confusing, whatever. Whatever is happening in the mind, tune into the awareness that knows it. 
oh, looking at the mind right now. And let it be very relaxed and at ease. Nothing special you have to make happen. Now just notice whatever your experience is right now, whether it's breathing or sitting here or thinking or a sensation. And besides that knowing that besides the thing that you are aware of, know that you're aware of it. Very light touch. Just maybe a little bit of a spacious vantage point. So you can kind of go back and forth between what's happening and the knowing that it's happening. The knowing of it is a very wholesome state where the mind isn't caught at all. The awareness is not tainted by anything. And then finally, out of that space of awareness, just send some kind thoughts to yourself and to everyone here and all beings. May all open to the pure awareness that shines through. May all feel the love that's naturally expressing itself through the heart. May all be happy and may all benefit from our time here together. Thank you for your patience and attention. Have a great week. I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.